G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia. The world has changed completely, all within the space of a single month. At the start of March, Coronavirus was still something that was mostly over there, safely out of mind. And now, well, the global economy has ground to a halt. International borders are closed. Tens, possibly hundreds of millions find themselves out of work. Perhaps a third of the planet has been in some form of lockdown. It sounds like fiction, but we all know it's true. So how do we come to grips with the biggest event? Not just for our health, but economic, diplomatic, social that any of us have ever seen in our lives. So welcome back to a Twista series unlike any that has come before. As we enter the long, chronic phase of the global COVID-19 pandemic, we work to reopen and restart our economies and we face some daunting challenges. First among these is an assessment of what we might have done wrong, what we can do better, and how we can speed our way into an economic recovery, into a world that will not look a lot like any economy we've known before. We're going to take a crack at cleaning up the mess on this final episode of Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia. This entire Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia has been proudly sponsored by the University of Technology Sydney, driving the next generation of entrepreneurs. UTS is equipping a new breed of startup founders by inspiring students to launch their own venture and build the foundation for a successful career. To find out more about entrepreneurship at UTS and the UTS Startups Program, go to startups.uts.edu.au. When I started teaching at cinema schools, now this is back in the late 1990s at the University of Southern California School of Cinema Television, I didn't know anything about how films were made. Now, it was a lot of fun to learn. Film is a very collaborative medium. There are hundreds of people working together for many months toward a single goal. And with so many people working on so many pieces, things go wrong. That's just going to happen. Now, if things go wrong in pre-production, that's the planning phase, well, you can generally learn that you can fix that actually as you're making the film. Then there are the things that go wrong in production when you're actually shooting the film. And some of those errors you catch at the time, so you can go back and reshoot or rewrite or edit around the problem. And then there are the mistakes that you notice when it's too late or too expensive to go back and fix them. And for those sorts of problems, there's a saying that's almost a comic truism in film production. We'll fix it in post, meaning post-production. And it's a punchline because no matter how bad the situation, there's always some chance that you can rescue a film in post-production. It's never perfect, but then films are rarely perfect. 
And so with the world we're living in now, over the course of Series 8, Twista has seen Australia make a successful transition from an acute to a chronic phase of the global pandemic. We are sticking our heads up above the duna. We're having a good look around at a very different world. And the first question that we need to ask ourselves is what have we learned? And on the back of that, what needs to be fixed? Because a lot broke during the acute phase of the pandemic. Now, to help us answer that question, we have assembled the most legendary group of guests ever gathered on This Week in Startups Australia. Annie Parker is global head of Microsoft for Startups, previously managing director of Fishburners, and before that, Moru D. Welcome, Annie. Hey, folks. Nice to see you all. Ian Gardner is one of the godfathers of the Australian startup community, founder of Innovation Bay and general partner of Jellix Ventures. Hello, Ian. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Mari Herps is the Director of Entrepreneurship at the University of Technology, Sydney, and for several years prior to that was Managing Director of Fishburners. And Julie Trell is the Global Head of Marudi, as well as the Australia Lead for CEO. Hello, Julie. Hello. Excited and humbled to be here. Okay. So let me start with you, Annie. Now that we're coming back to life, and you actually have a global view on this, not just an Australian view. Now that everything is coming back to life and it's happening irregularly around the world, do we know what's not going to make it out of the pandemic? Do we know what either died or just sort of fell off the wheels in the pandemic? So I'd say two things that are quite sort of um, pertinent to me at the moment. The first is around events and conferences. And then the second is around funding. I'll start with the events one first. Uh, we just held our global kind of developer conference at Microsoft last week. And typically that's hosted in Seattle at a major conference center. It's, everything's face-to-face. -face. It's all about you know, sort of 6,000 people all descending on this conference center for two days and learning more about the, the latest things that Microsoft launched. We couldn't do that, obviously, this year. So instead, we put everything on virtually. Now, instead of 6,000 people being able to attend, 230,000 people registered. Now, think of what that gives Whoa. us. Yeah, quite. Think of what that gives us in terms of ability to connect and help other developers around the world. And then 80% you know, of the attendees typically at the, the sort of the face-to-face -face event are all from the US, whereas in this scenario, 65% of the attendees were from the rest of the world. 95% of the speakers or panelists were doing their speech or their talk from the comfort of their own home. Now, I know that there are some downsides of that in terms of, you know, not great for conference centers, hotels, and uh, airline industry, because there's a ton of money that they lost. But from a, the, an ability to genuinely connect and influence with a major large audience, we went from 6,000 to over 200,000. That for me is one thing that I cannot see us ever going back to. Um, on the funding side of things, and it'd be interesting to perhaps get Ian's point on this as well, but or point of view on this, I've seen um, funding hasn't necessarily slowed down in terms of the volume or the, the amount of dollars being handed over. Where I am seeing it starting to slow down is on places where um, angel investors and VC funds perceive that there is still risk associated. And the risk is typically associated with first-time founders or people who perhaps they haven't necessarily invested in that category before. Sadly, what that's meaning is female founders and other underrepresented groups are really struggling. 
in the first quarter of the year, Pitch Book released some stats earlier a couple of weeks back saying that you know, t- the typical global number we see is around 2% of funding going to female founders. That dropped in the first quarter of this year pre- prior to the pandemic even hitting. So I cannot see that getting any better. I can only see that getting worse. So there's, there's, a, there's a good news, bad news kind of couple of examples just to share that. So, and this is interesting because we've also seen, particularly in academia, that in fact women have been publishing fewer papers during the pandemic than their male peers and that this is actually opening up a gap. And, you know, the question is, is this because women are doing more child rearing, which is generally the case in this, or no one really knows the reason, but everyone knows that there's a clear gender disparity that has opened up around this. Okay, so Ian, are you seeing this being affected in funding and how that's happening? Yeah, I think we are seeing it. I mean, I can only really speak for, for the Australian perspective and probably even more narrowly than that. I mean, uh, Gelix, where, where we play, is focused on the seed stage or the early stage. Um, you know, so maybe there's been, and again, there's no there's no good data around funding and funding numbers in, in Australia, but we're seeing about a 20, you know, quarter to a third reduction in that seed stage valuation. Um, have we seen a reduction in deal flow? Possibly, but there's still people out there interested in, in, in raising money. Uh, I mean, to Annie's point, I mean, the, the, there is, there's upside and there's downside. Uh, I mean, we're definitely not looking at uh, travel or hospitality right now. I mean, that may rebound, but probably not in the way that it was before. You know, so any of those sectors or, or solutions that might uh, have an upside to, uh, to what's, what's come from the, out the, the other side of the pandemic. Yeah, maybe there's some, some, some good there. Uh, we were never strong in business to consumer, but I think that's a, a very risky proposition right now. Uh, and again, I think Annie made this point. I mean, we're not really seeing the the impact yet. Um, you know, Innovation Bay has been running regular. Um, you know, one of the, the good things I think we did for the community was rapidly move, again, to Annie's point, around a virtual event series. So we were able to to reach, I mean, the first event we did, which was with a panel of VCs. So we had Airtree, Blackbird, SquarePeg and One Ventures. Uh, so, you know, probably the best VCs in the country, uh, 700 and, or 800 people registered for that. And the biggest event we'd ever done before that was 200. Uh, so that was terrific. Uh, but Rick Baker from, from Blackbird on there talked about every other crisis in history, the, the lag between the, the sort of end of the crisis, I probably around about now, it's not that we're at the end of the crisis, but it's, you know, things are opening up. It's the, you know, the clouds of uncertainty are clearing a little bit but there's about a one-year delay between that point and the trough of the investment cycle. So we're, we're not even close to that part yet. And again, Rick's point was if you're, in the, if you're thinking about raising uh, or, uh, or you need to raise, don't wait. You know, now is the time because if you wait longer, it's going to get harder, I think, before it gets easier. So, Murray, one of the things that's happened as a result of the pandemic is that all of the classes that are taught at the university level have suddenly moved online. And in fact, UTS shut down for a week as they sort of sorted all of this out. How has that changed how you're working with the entrepreneurship program there? And is that going to have a permanent impact? I mean, if what we're seeing from Annie is absolutely true, what Ian is saying about the trough forming is true, how then do you react to this and also then deliver in this new environment? The world got weird really quickly. Uh, it really did. This, I remember doing a Twitter post uh, 
about two weeks into to, uh, things looking like they're going to get bad, saying that accelerators and incubators and VC in Australia are probably going to be in trouble this year. And before I hit post, I'm like, oh, maybe this is a bit alarmist. Uh, and no, it wasn't. Uh, this is actually happening. And so, yes, I think uh, UTS and all universities are racing to deal with the situation they're in. Uh, and I think all in the circumstances doing decent work. I think the challenge we've had is now, like, we're, we're human, we want face-to-face -face conversations. This being delivered through your uh, headphones wherever you are is not as good as me standing in front of you talking to you in person. And so we have to make up for that in how we support and inspire people to be entrepreneurs. Uh, it is a challenge, it's a massive challenge to say we have 45,000 students how do you do something with them through a laptop in their bedroom that makes them want to be an entrepreneur and helps them continue and succeed in being an entrepreneur? That's a huge challenge. And uh, we're this uh, made slightly optimistic by the success that we're getting so far in uh, more and more startups being started dis despite the conditions. Wow. So, Julie, you are at the front line running an incubator that has a global reach now. Do you see your own practice changing now that we're coming out to the chronic side of the pandemic? I mean, certainly what happened was basically all the incubators, all the hubs, they just sort of shut down, everyone scattered back to their homes. How is this reconnection, this new phase going to work? Yeah, well, um, because of the accelerators, because of the network that has been formed when you're in an accelerator, you have that group, you have the alumni, they are still connecting. Unfortunately, it's not face-to-face -face and having that physical connection, which is missing. Uh, but learning how to go deep with the portfolio companies that we have, providing wonderful events, as Annie and Ian had just mentioned. Um, but one of the things that I am seeing, which is quite interesting, are the the, the founders and the companies themselves, if I can answer this, is the, the way they have pivoted and the way they have responded to the needs and the requests of their customers. Um, and I've seen this with a with there's three great examples. And it was interesting. They all happen, happen to be around food and or delivery. Um, so Food Street, which is a startup which brings, um, which people can cook in their homes and then deliver their food and they're accredited. And this gave opportunity for chefs who are at events, cooking for events or catering agencies to continue a livelihood. Other people could get a livelihood by cooking in their, in their homes and the delivery. So they saw the service expand and increase and the request has been so immense and figuring out how to grow and scale. So that was, that was one of them. Another company in Canada, another CEO venture made with local, they sell granola bars that are, that are made in, with local ingredients from the farms in the neighbor, in their community. And then they were produced by social enterprises. Well, they were all shut down, so they couldn't sell the bars, but people still wanted them. So they pivoted and said, well, we can't make them, but here's the mix. Why don't you make them? So they, they're figuring out how to, how to adjust that way. And then another company like Drive Yellow that did go through Mira D, the last mile delivery is booming. The supermarkets have been so overwhelmed by demand um, that they shut their home delivery to figure out how to do it. And startups like Drive Yellow, the last mile delivery, are now, they're using the startups to enable them to what they needed to do. So the response to what's needed in this change in this new way of living and, and working. Right. And we saw it because we interviewed the CEO 
of CoView in the last episode, which offers telehealth, and they had a literal 10,000% increase over a fortnight in terms of inbound sales leads because telehealth had become the way we needed to do this with the contactless culture that's being built. So there's clearly opportunities here. All right, Ian. I just want to make a quick point about how fast the community has responded to this. I mean, it's, it's nothing quite like a necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, I mean, we had a couple of examples. So Sam Chandler from Nitro was on uh, one of our uh, Innovation Bay Wednesday morning series. Uh, he say, said that within a week, and this is a global uh, company, three, you know, I think it's Ireland, US and Australia. So three distributed offices all working from home. Within one week, they were at 95% productivity, he said. Uh, and then Cam Adams, you know, one of the co-founders at Canva, he just wrote a blog in the last couple of weeks about how Canva has embraced this home working. And we're seeing it across the board. It's like it is almost immediate, uh, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily full productivity. I mean, some places are even beyond full productivity. But, you know, the ability for companies to react uh, to this has been, uh, has been mostly startups, in fact, uh, has been unbelievable. And I want, I want to add on to that is the customers are also becoming, this is entrepreneurial. You just ex- define what entrepreneurial is, being able to adapt and shift. So customers are adapting and making the, their vendors or where they're working with adapt and shift and, and become entrepreneurs. All right. Annie, is there something that we see that needs to be fixed urgently as we come back to life? Is it just that we're going to need to connect more capital? Is it that we're going to need to focus on getting women back in? I mean, is there something we know we need to fix urgently right now? Yes. And it's it's sort of related to the same point as, as people who are from underrepresented groups face perhaps slightly more kind of pertinent challenges than perhaps we've realized. So if we accept the premise that the, the new normal is a lot more working from home or working remotely, then number one, you need internet access. There's a ton of Australia that doesn't have reliable internet access. Uh, you also then have groups of people who don't have access to the digital capability that they need to be able to do this connection. So we're going to be leaving behind an enormous part of our population if we don't get that fixed, whether that's Kids from low socioeconomic areas, rural and remote areas of Australia, underrepresented um, groups where we currently don't have that level of access as well, whether that be migrants, refugees. Um, The other thing that we're seeing a huge impact on is women in domestic violence situations who are now even more locked down at home and are even more risk than they were before. So the, the piece around digital access is so important. And if we could fix one thing, it would be that. All right. So you're really pointing to the fact that the pandemic highlighted and, in fact, amplified the digital divide that had been bubbling below the surface. We kind of think, well, everyone's got a smartphone. Why should we worry? Nah, it doesn't work that way. Murray, what else do we urgently need to fix? Uh, I think this Australia needs to wake up. Uh, like, stop treating people like us as chicken little that are saying, hey, if, if we don't do this, uh, this bad thing in the future might happen. It's happening now. And all these millions of people, talented people, hardworking people that don't have jobs effectively, uh, all the hundreds of thousands of companies that suddenly don't exist effectively uh, and won't in the future. Uh, and this recovery, kind of 10 years, whatever it is that we're going into, that the world is going into, and the question of how quickly do we want that recovery to happen, uh, if it happens, we can answer that now, but we need to actually 
kind of shake ourselves out of the Australian 30 years of whatever prosperity we've had uh, without having to deal with a problem like this and say, okay, this is new for you. We'll, we'll ease you into it slowly, but now's the time to actually change what you're doing. And thank you for setting us up for the segment that will happen after the break. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Developing entrepreneurial skills is at the heart of the student experience at the University of Technology, Sydney. UTS students are creating their own jobs and starting their own companies through the flagship program UTS Startups. Within its first year, the program has launched more than 200 student startups and they're just getting started. Equipping students with the tools and expertise to become entrepreneurs, then connecting them to industry partners and the startup ecosystem, it's all part of their innovative approach. UTS is connecting thousands of talented students to industry and works closely with a network of partners to match students and startups through their startup internship program. As a leading university of technology and Australia's number one young university, UTS is investing heavily in this future right now. UTS's inner city campus is also uniquely positioned in Sydney's thriving tech precinct to be the catalyst for digital and creative industries and the startup community. Join them on the journey building Australia's largest community of student entrepreneurs. Go to startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. Welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia, where we have the dream team of Annie Parker, Ian Gardner, Murray Herps, and Julie Trell, helping us to understand the shape of startup land and the economy beyond during this chronic phase of the pandemic. All right, let's pop out a little bit for a broader national and global context. The, the Prime Minister is now mooting this idea of a job maker program in Australia to go along with JobKeeper and job seeker, we're going to have job this and job that. But in fact, it's a call to arms for everyone in the nation to basically think about a way through. Exactly what you were talking about, Mario, about waking up. And it is clear that not only is Australia heading into its first recession in three decades, but we're probably, you know, we're definitely heading into a global recession if it's bad, it could be a prolonged global recession. It will certainly be a worse recession than any of us have experienced in the course of our lifetimes. There's already a, probably around a million people out of work here in Australia, plus a huge number of underemployed. There are apparently 40 million people unemployed in the United States right now. And one thing we know is that if these people don't go back to work right away, it takes a long time to get them back into work. And that is a thorny problem. It will affect everyone everywhere. What can startups do about this? And I don't mean to hand us the entire problem because we know that startups by themselves add jobs relatively slowly. Even unicorns add jobs slowly. But what can startups start to do and what can the ecosystem start to do to support Australia in adding jobs across the economy quickly? Is there an opportunity here for startup land to be an accelerant to recovery. Ian? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think 
Uh, this came out in I think 2017. I, I read this statistic, but startups less than two years old uh, created 90% of the new jobs in Australia uh, over over some recent years. And and look, these tend to be the you know these aren't the sort of you know crappy low skill jobs, but these are productive, relatively high paying jobs that you know every country needs these jobs to 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 prosper. Um, so yeah, there is absolutely uh, there there should be. Uh, a focus on on this and supporting the startups to to you know set the set the playing field nice and level and sprinkle it with fertilizer and water and give it some sunshine uh, and let these startups flourish because that's where the the job growth is going to come from. I mean, then, then they frame it a little bit differently. Is there a way to be able to hack? the job maker program. In other words, do a hackathon so that we can actually come up with a whole bunch of ideas that are usable across Australia, across a wide set of industries to be able to accelerate this. Mari? Uh, we don't need to. I think I've got a fix ready to go, which is when people talk about skills and they say, okay, we've talked to these companies or these industry bodies and they say that we need more of these skills. So let's train people in cyber or data or AI or whatever. That, that makes sense, that's an understood process, but there is a voice for certain skills that doesn't exist. So imagine entrepreneurial skills. Who is out there saying in large numbers, we want more people to understand how to be entrepreneurs? There is nobody. And I think that is a core missing piece in the skills conversation that is part of the uh, new job maker announcement. And I'm sure more details will come out soon, but that needs critically to be focused on entrepreneurial skills so that we can make this a more normal thing. Uh, I'll, I'll say quickly, every time I go out into schools, uh, which I do a bit with UTS, uh, I say, raise your hand if you want to be an entrepreneur. No one in those rooms, apart from a few teachers up the back, uh, raise their hand. It is not a normal thing in Australia, and I think we can fix that through the skills agenda. Annie? I actually just did a... Um a judging competition with young change agents um, a couple of weeks ago now. And it was originally something that they were doing as a face-to-face -face meal or engaging with schools. So kids between the ages of, they had two age groups, nine to 14 and then 14 to 20, I think it was. And what they wanted to do is to encourage kids who are you know, obviously living through something that's kind of probably quite stressful for them um, clearly something that their parents don't know how to perhaps support them through either because it's new to all of us. And they encourage these kids to think about how they might solve problems for themselves. It was incredible. The level of innovation that came out of this was so cool. We had a kid who hacked his Alexa box and made it so that it could talk to his, um, uh, his timetable from school and he would ask Alexa, what's next? And Alexa would tell him, you know, the, the next session is maths or whatever. And, and it would then bring up the piece of work that he needed to do next. He's nine years old. And he was able to, to build the connection between his school timetable and an Alexa unit. There is more than enough innovation out there. How we need to speak about it, though, is, is I think, different. Using the word entrepreneur can be a bit, it's a bit of a mouthful, right? And I think it can scare people. But if you say to kids, do you want to solve problems? Do you want to help your community, your family, the world around you be a better place? Great. Learn these digital skills. Learn how to creative problem solve, how to think about things laterally. 
Um, we even had uh, one of the other young kids who came up with a solution was around this sort of this gap in not being able to um, reach out and hug your friends, or if you are perhaps you know if, if you live by yourself, if you are you know sort of in a um, an environment where you you need a carer to come and look after you and you're housebound. Yeah, this is this intention of not being able to have the human connection. He built this sort of haptic solution where it would sort of give the give the feeling of a hug and just amazing innovation so it is out there I just think we need to think about how we talk about it differently so it becomes something that is not quite as scary as calling it I'm an entrepreneur because it's like oh I don't know whether I am maybe I'll never be one let's face it we all know that we've all got imposter syndrome so let's let's use words that are just a little bit easier and Australia definitely has this idea that it's a problem-solving nation, so it fits in with how the nation thinks about itself. Julie? Yeah, um, well, Annie took exactly what I was going to say. I couldn't have said it better. Um, really, um, we the word entrepreneurship, when I ask kids what they want, what problem they want to solve, I get a very different answer than what kind of business do you want to make. And so when we're teaching, it's, and this is also with girls, and they need to learn how to code, and I don't think that's the right question. It's what problems do you want to solve? How can we solve it? Oh, and let's learn coding, and that could be your solution. So um, I don't think we should be teaching entrepreneurship per se and label it just like we shouldn't have innovation just as its own department in a corporate. This should be something that's a mindset. And Annie and Ian both both referred to that. It's a mindset of how to be adaptable, how to be creative, how to make things up on the fly, how to look at what your customer needs and adapt to that. So earlier down the pipeline, before companies are even started, needs to happen in the schools. So thank you, Annie, for 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 saying what you said and letting me amplify exactly at times two. And young change agents, thumbs up. Murray. Can I throw in something uh, maybe controversial that I think this is an Australian thing that we are scared of entrepreneurship. And I think if you're in Israel or other places around the world, the idea of being outwardly encouraging of entrepreneurship would not be as controversial. And I think this is... This is why we use the term UTS startups, because I wanted a word that was a little bit pointy, that people said, oh, no, we don't want startups. That's, you know, that's not acceptable. That's Uber, that's uh, et cetera. Because I think success looks like people understanding that word and knowing that it's a good thing. Ian, this is going to be good for the kids. Can we also get all of these adults, a lot of whom will be unemployed for the first time in their lives? Can we get them thinking in these terms? I hope so. I mean, that that, that is possible, but challenging. Uh, I mean, people can be quite conservative. And that's not to say that, that you can't retrain and refocus. Um, you know, ultimately, I don't know whether it's the, um, the, the people retraining or the, you know, where should the focus be? Should it be on them or should it be on starting the businesses? You know, and... I can't help thinking, uh, and I've, I've talked about this uh, in, in, in other forums, but the reason that we're able to function in the way that we have been during this pandemic is because of technology. If this had happened 20 years ago, we'd be stuck at home with a fax machine and a Nokia, um, you know, shitty Nokia phone. Uh, we're not. Uh, we can function. I mean, I, I talked about this with Canva and Nitro and all the others. Like We are able, because of Zoom, because of Atlassian, uh, because of Slack. I mean, these are tools that have generated our ability to solve these problems and all of those companies you know the five massive tech companies out the US they're you know they're not that old you know Amazon's 20 and a bit years old Microsoft's 40 maybe 
but they're employing hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, Atlassian, you know, it's not, I'll put those numbers, but aggregate all of that together and focus on that as solving problems. You know, how are we going to, hopefully in, in, in 10 years, if there's another global medical pandemic, then, you know, some clever startup that is, exists at Cicada right now has come up with a way of developing a vaccine that will fix this in a month. That's where the focus should be. Right. Annie, this is just sort of a, a bit of a loaded question, but a last one, I think, for you, which is, is there, I mean, Microsoft is now a trillion dollar company. Is there a way that Microsoft can turn some of that focus into how do we help accelerate the rest of the economy into a, a recovery? There's actually some work we're already doing. And, and if you haven't heard of things like Power Platform, um, I'd encourage folks to get out there and have a look. What they what we've done is built the the back end of all of the you know, sort of whether it's an API or an app itself. And we've basically made all of that code like Lego bricks. And anybody in any company now can use this, um, use this set of tools to actually build their own versions of apps, but without actually having to do the code. So I think where we're getting to with software is you no longer have to be the person, you know, writing the ones and zeros or punching the card into the machine, you know, like it used to be decades ago. It's so much more accessible than it ever has been. And I think that's the other part around making sure that we talk about new jobs and new skills by saying this, it will require a little bit of retraining. And by the way, we have a ton of stuff and it's not just Microsoft. I know Amazon and Google do the same. There's so much online that's free that you can go and teach yourself and learn those new skills. It does require a tiny bit of, you know, you've got to go jump in there and do it for yourself, but it's all there if you want to go learn. Julie. And one final addition, um, I want to recognize Mark for bringing in, there are four people on your panel from four different countries. So the concept of diverse thinking and different, while we all do work in the startup space, having a chance to listen from different mindsets and cultures and, and um, opinions is, will be helpful as well. Diversity is the way forward. Thank you so much, Ian, Annie, Murray, and Julie, for joining us on this final episode of Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia. When we started Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia, I really didn't have any idea where it would go. No one knew anything. Everything was changing so rapidly. The world was locked down. It was very hard to get any sense of the future. Now, as the pandemic has calmed down, particularly here in Australia, we've been able to take a look further out to the horizon. And what we can see is a lot of economic disruption, a lot of pain for a lot of people. Saved a lot of trouble to shut down, but we will be paying that price for a very long time to come. Startups will be paying that price, but every business and every person who works is going to be a little less secure because of the steps we took to save our health. So now it's what can we do to fix that? What can we do to remediate the price that we paid? How can we get back to where we were or actually get back to a better place? Because I don't know that anyone was truly satisfied with where we were. And this might represent a great opportunity to have a bit of a do-over. And listening to our panelists, we can hear similar themes of resilience, of being able to learn, to respond, 
to actually listen to customers and change what you're doing to meet their needs as their needs change. And all needs are changing rapidly right now, which means every startup can pretty much usefully revisit what they're doing and see how they need to change to match the conditions. So that resilience is going to be very important. And of course, the startups that make it through all the way to the other side will be the ones that have distinguished themselves in resiliency. But we also have to take a look at diversity because the first thing that happens during an economic cutback is that the most diverse elements get cut out. It tends to be a return to the core or a reversion to the mean. And that tends to be bad for people who are just taking their first steps into this field, whether that's people of color, whether that's women, whether that's other disadvantaged groups who haven't historically been included in a field that's typified by white young men. And so we need to really blow our minds out a little bit and think very differently about what counts as community, what counts as diversity, and what that means. Because we already know that organizations and boards that are more diverse tend to succeed. And in this case, they will have more resiliency to see themselves through to the far side of the pandemic. Huge thanks to Twister sponsor UTS. Their support has made Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia possible. Thanks to Annie Parker, Ian Gardner, Mari Herbs, and Julie Trell for making the time to come onto our show. Please come visit our website at twistartupsaus.com. It has got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links to all the stories. So check it out at twistartupsaus.com. That concludes Series 8 of This Week in Startups Australia. It has been a great voyage, and we will be back with Series 9 on the other side. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening and asking you to stay well and be safe.